This is Chris Shelton, your host. Uh, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining me again for what I hope to have an, another awesome hour of podcasting greatness here. And as you can see, I am joined by Cyprian Ivanov, who is a uh, attorney who is uh, licensed in the uh, state of uh, Washington D.C. and uh, has an interest in or you know slant towards uh, First Amendment type issues and law. Would that be a, a right way of saying that, Cyprian? I know enough to be dangerous. Okay, there we go. Okay, good. Uh, well, that's what we like here. And of course, this is um, our kind of rev up episode here to the upcoming trial of Danny Masterson, who is a uh, celebrity and Scientologist uh, who has been accused of uh, multiple counts of sexual assault, rape, um, and is going to court. And that court case is finally starting um, next week. Now, just to give some backstory to this, a little bit of setup as far as what are we talking about, what are we dealing with, there has been some confusion over the last couple of years in talking about the Danny Masterson legal cases because there are two of them. There are two distinctly different legal actions going on with Danny Masterson right now. One of them is a criminal case, and that's the one we're going to be talking about through most of this episode, but we will refer from time to time to the other case, which is a civil case. And Cyprian, could you easily, for the audience, like what's the difference between a, a criminal case and a civil case? Because these are two completely different legal arenas, yeah? A civil case is one that is prosecuted by the government. A crime is an offense against the government. Mm. It is not something that an individual can go out and prosecute on their own. So you need a decision by a prosecutor to choose to charge, uh, to choose to charge and bring a prosecution against a defendant. Okay. This is That's not a matter of, oh, these individuals were hurt, uh, and then they uh, decided to sue for their own personal injuries, and that's uh, a criminal trial. No, that's a civil trial. Right. Criminal case is about the crime against the government. Okay. And murder, rape, slavery, all that stuff, that is considered a crime against the government. We don't care if there's any theoretical individual victim so much as it being against what the rules are. The okay. civil trial is about harm done to individuals that is fought by individuals. Okay. So for these women, uh, the fact that they were being harassed uh, or harmed, and then they can sue for their own injuries, uh, and they are bringing that by themselves, it is a civil case. Right. So they can report something that's a crime, and they can also try to sue for uh, whatever damage they suffered as a civil case. These are oh. different things. Right, right. So, okay, good. So then, um, and of course, the, the difference here in consequences also is kind of important because in a criminal case, 
where you have violated the, you're accused of violating the law. The government prosecutes you for that. The the potential consequence of that is you end up in jail. And where in this case, it can be up to fifteen or twenty five years in prison, depending on which argument is accepted. Right. I actually read even up to forty five years as potential for Danny in this in this instance with multiple counts. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you if you go with a maximum of the three and follow the the three rape incidents and follow uh, what is that? The penalty in Penal Code 261, yeah, that can be a good 45 years. Of course, be in California, who knows if anybody anybody will actually serve that, but hey. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I certainly hope so. I wouldn't want to see this, uh, you know, get done and, and he's found guilty and then he gets a slap on the wrist. That would, that would certainly not be justice. We, we don't want that. But your point is taken. I mean, it's, it's always a bit of a dice roll with this. Now, just to finish this civil versus criminal thing, though. So criminal, you end up in jail or potentially could end yeah. up in jail. It can be any penalty the government dictates. Uh, and to reduce the ambiguity, the penalties are oftentimes specified in the same body of law that dictates the crime. Okay. So the penalty could be or jaywalking a fine, or maybe a night in jail. Or for rape, it could be years in prison. Right, right. Okay, but as a, but then the civil cases, the civil court case that gets brought, that's not going to end you up in jail. No time in jail. No, that's just going to, you're going to end up paying money right. damages if you're found guilty in a civil case. Uh, return of property, maybe paying fines. There are exceptions where a person refuses to comply with the judgment, so they get sent to jail until they comply with the judgment. I mean, famous examples being acrimonious divorce proceedings and people refusing to give their financial information, so they stay in jail until they provide it. Okay. But these are weird exceptions. By and large, when you're dealing with a civil case, there is no fine, there is no jail, it's just pay up or do a service or something, there is right. no risk of uh, prison time or execution. Okay, got it. Good, so two different issues. We're gonna focus on the criminal one because that's the trial that's about to happen. The civil one is in a way kind of on hold right now because of the criminal case. Because generally the criminal side of things is considered more serious, more weighty. There's a higher standard of evidence which means that uh, a civil case that takes the facts from a criminal case uh, can basically coast on the work the criminal trial already did. I'm sorry, can, can what was that? A, a civil case that follows in the steps of a successful criminal trial can basically coast on the prior work of the criminal trial. Oh, sure, of course. Yet, on the other hand, you can have a civil case which almost retries the criminal case only in a civil context. And so you could end up being found innocent or at least not guilty in the criminal side, but then be sued. Let's say you kill somebody and the family sues you for doing that and end up being found guilty or being or having to pay in the civil 
case. Yes, O.J. Simpson is a famous case. Exactly. LAPD messed up, and there just was not enough evidence to convict him. Johnny Cochran's stunts may or may not have been influential, but uh, O.J. Simpson was found not guilty of the criminal uh, right. uh, allegation of murder, but there was enough evidence for a wrongful death suit. Right. Okay. And so they won on the civil side. Yep. Against OJ. And potentially that could be a future outcome in this situation as well. If Masterson were somehow to be found not guilty in the criminal side, the, the civil case could still move forward and they could still end up rendering a judgment against him for stalking, harassment, and other nonsense that he's being sued for civilly. Is that, yeah? I mean, that depends on statute of, statutes of limitation. You can add more claims to a civil case. Oh, you can add to it? Yeah. As you go. Okay. Okay, that's interesting. Okay, so anyway, point being there that potentially, even if the criminal case doesn't happen or doesn't work out, there is still the civil case that could or vice versa, but what? Uh, but they're two different kind of animals related to the same person. Yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, what we have in terms of backstory on this is, um, well, there's a lot we could talk about, but, the, but to just sort of set the stage here. So in the early 2000s is when the accusers are saying these things happened. This was many, many years ago that Masterson allegedly drugged and raped women while they were unconscious and they woke up to find him either having sex with them or you know the after effects of that. And it was non-consensual and they were not happy with that. And they tried to take efforts to report this or, or make this known. And it is alleged that uh, the Scientology was involved in this because um, some of his accusers, I think three of the uh, five alleged victims were Scientologists at the time that it happened. And so they went to the church seeking, you know, some recourse or some help. And um, they claim that the church uh, did not help them, blamed them as victims, accused them of their own, you know, making this stuff up or, or, or guilty of their own crimes. And that was why they were speaking out against Danny and so the church basically kind of acted as, you know, to sort of cover the thing up is what they're saying. Masterson, of course, says the exact opposite. Um, there's very little transparency out of the Church of Scientology in terms of its records and files and whatnot. We'll see what, if any of that, gets put into or asked for for, for evidence in the courtroom. But they're claiming that's what happened. And because they were Scientologists and because Scientology put pressure on them, to not make this a criminal matter and not bring criminal charges against him. And this happened with each individual Scientologist victim, and they didn't know about each other. So, it ha you know, one woman this happens to, and she's in a vacuum. She has no idea that there are other alleged victims and that they have been making a case as well, and that Scientology's just been kind of playing whack-a-mole with Masterson's victims, uh, yet that's apparently what they're saying happened. I, being a former Scientologist and Sea Org member, is very familiar with how Scientology operates. I completely could understand how that could happen. No one in the church would 
uh, dare to let these women know there were other accusers or that this was a real legitimate problem because Danny Masterson is a Scientology celebrity, is a very important person, VIP, and because he's connected with so many other major um, TV movie stars um, through his professional and familial connections. So Masterson's an influential person. If you were to draw out the, the spider web of all of his connections to other celebrities, it's, it's a lot. And some of them are Scientologists, and maybe some of them are even secret Scientologists. It's not really known. There are secret Scientology celebrities. There are people who are celebrities, who are Scientologists, who nobody knows about because they don't want to they don't want to let people know. Will Smith? Uh, no, not Will Smith. Although Will Smith was a Scientologist. He got himself out. He and his wife, Jada, both did. But they were actually both absolutely practicing Scientologists. And their their PR teams uh, can say whatever they want. We that that is the truth. <laughs> So, so yeah, you do have that situation. Um, So Masterson is not just also in a vacuum in the Church of Scientology. He is heavily connected as a Scientologist and as a celebrity. And that means that even if he's only a half-rate Scientologist, even a, you know, sort of just a Scientologist by name, hardly by practice, doesn't matter. The church is going to act with ferocity to protect their interests and their image. And this is not even, you know, unprecedented that we saw this with the Catholics. The the Catholic Church did all kinds of whack-a-mole, moving their priests, you know, pedophile priests around and stuff. And this is all thoroughly documented information. This isn't conjectural at this point. So we know that there is this thing with these, with religious groups who will sometimes quash victims within their own ranks in order to maintain their own image, their their PR. And I believe personally that that's exactly what happened here with these victims of, of Masterson and what and the church's actions in, in regards to them. So that that's all part of this case, or at least the the allegations of what what occurred in the timeline of this case. So in uh, 2017 is when this kind of got blown up into the public sphere when um, there was the first accused, the accusations became public of sexual assault against Masterson. This is four women claiming in March 2017 that he had sexually assaulted them in the early 2000s. A fifth woman came forward in December claiming that while she was dating the actor, he, quote, repeatedly raped her. Um, Three of them were Scientologists, and uh, Masterson, of course, has maintained his innocence in all of this, but he was fired from uh, from a show called The Ranch, which was on Netflix at the time. He was on that show with some of his, uh, uh, you know, alumni from the, the 70s show, and his career kind of hit a stonewall at that point because uh, of these allegations. And he was um, saying this was all very unfair and this was very bad. Um, In addition to that criminal case, uh, Masterson was sued by four of his sexual assault accusers in civil court because they claimed that not only had had those rapes happened, but because they'd come forward or because they were trying to make motions of coming forward and speaking up and bringing charges, 
Masterson and the Church of Scientology conspired or colluded or worked together to stalk and harass them and shut them down and intimidate them into quiet, into, into not saying anything or doing anything about any of this. And so they brought this civil case, and that's what the civil case is about. It's about that stalking, that alleged stalking and harassment. So um, that was in August 2019 that that happened, and that's been going back and forth and up and down ever since then because the Church of Scientology has utilized, um, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Cyprian, but they have mainly utilized contract law in order to try to deft misdirect the court away from the civil suit by saying that because those women were Scientologists and they're going after a Scientologist, they are still subject to the contracts that they signed as Scientologists saying that they would go to religious arbitration if there was a, a problem with another Scientologist. Is that, do I have that basically? And Scientology does have a decent argument there. The end point of that contractual obligation is undefined. Exactly. Although the good news on that is that the California Appeals Court found that argument to not hold water because it said you can't be binding these women to an agreement they made as Scientologists when they have left the Church of Scientology formally and completely and are no longer Scientologists. So why would they still be bound? by contracts that say, when you're a Scientologist, these are the rules you're going to agree to. And then they leave Scientology and go, well, that, that ain't, those aren't the rules for me anymore. They read, they, they decided to impute that uh, as long as you are a Scientologist, meaning to it. Right. Which is not a totally to clear with. meaning of the wording, but which has some logical sense insofar as you try to read it in California's uh, obligation for fair dealing. Right. Well, I mean, it makes sense to me in terms of... I mean, there's a good argument for it. It's just, let's remember the, the court was taking a bit of a leap there, a justifiable leap, but it's enough that Scientology does have a, a, a legitimate, if not necessarily winning argument against. Yeah, I, I'm I'm afraid I don't particularly see the legitimacy of it the same way you do, but I understand. I, I get that there's differences there. Wording Trump's implication. Okay. Well, apparently what we learned this last week is that the Supreme Court decided, the Supreme Court of the United States decided we're not messing not, with that. Not to hear the appeal. Yeah. And to be fair, the Supreme Court does not only handles a couple appeals. So a lot of stuff goes up to the Supreme Court, gets dumped into a pile, and the clerks decide whether it's good for a, a case or not. So the vast majority of appeals never get heard. Right. And that's expected. And this is one of them. So, as, so, that, so basically, that decision stands. And that civil case now does not have to go to religious arbitration, but it's on hold pending the criminal case. Do I, yeah? Is that, do I have that right? Okay, good. Good. So that's kind of the backstory that got us to where we are now, where come next week, Danny Masterson is finally going to face his accusers in open court. And um, I don't know that it's going to be televised, but I do know that um, Tony and other journalists will certainly be on site. 
to give us the blow by blow on it. And I am looking forward to seeing what happens with that. And, um, you know, maybe if, as things progress, I'll post some responses to that. Maybe I'll finally take advantage of that YouTube shorts thing and do little tiny one minute videos or something on a more daily basis. We'll see. Anyway, so here we are and we're looking at this and this has been years in the making. We've been following this case uh, and all the ups and downs of it for quite some time. And it's not the first time that Cyprian and I have had a conversation about it. So Cyprian, now that I've kind of gone on at, at length here about what this is all about and where we're at, how do you see this case from your you know, degree of experience and understanding of things? I mean, is this a fairly straightforward you know, rape, multiple ac- accusers rape case, or does the Church of Scientology potential influence throw a monkey in the wrench of that? And is this going to be a bit of a different kind of case because of that? Um, there are a couple additional factors here. Yeah. One, uh, in a typical rape case, uh, the difficulty of prosecuting once a victim has retracted their testimony due to outside influence means that witness intimidation quite often works, mm. or at least is attempted. Okay. That's probably why there was all the harassment that led to the civil suit. Mm. They were trying to get these women to shut the hell up and retract their claims. Right. And, right. And, and so, were that to succeed, this would not really probably move forward. There would be, there would be authority to prosecute. It would just be hard. Right. And I've met prosecutors who were faced with that challenge and still tried to persist. Okay. And they won, but. Yeah. Okay. I, I, but it's just freaking hard and miserable. Yeah. Yeah, so exactly. the fact that these women didn't retract, that they kept on going, that that means it's much more likely to get justice. Good, good. Well, that's good to know. What other factors do you think? Um, one of the most worrying things from a prosecution standpoint is that it is so many years after the fact. Mm. Evidence decays. Memories fade. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard to get uh, documents uh, because there are automatic document destruction policies, et cetera. So the longer the time difference between the original crime and the allegation to the police and the charging, that makes it a lot more questionable in terms of due process. Now that's interesting. Now, of course, where my mind goes with this, and please tell me you know, your, your thoughts on this. You know, for based on conversations we've had before, I understand that this is not what we see on TV and that, you know, I can't expect things to just follow, quote unquote, common sense as I see them. So this is why I have lots of questions. Um, the law is tricky sometimes. For example, just because they are the, the records that they have from the women going to the church, let's say, and speaking with the churches, you know, pastors, ethics officers, whatever, you know, the the, the various people they spoke with. Would any of that, would any of the reports or files from that time with those women, including Danny Masterson's own files in the church, would any of that 
be usable or obtainable as evidence to show or indicate this? Because I'll tell you for a fact, none of those files have been shredded or, 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 or dead. You know, they keep that stuff forever. They've got warehouses of files on every single person who's ever done any Scientology auditing or courses or any, or any of any work with the Scientology at all. They've got files on, on those people and they keep them forever. Would that be a line of inquiry for the prosecution to go after? No. Really? I mean, there are some, rather, uh, if the discussion was with Scientology officials who are not considered clergy, then that could be gone after. Well, not, okay. And, and, and well, let me be clear then, because I was using the word pastor kind of jokingly, because most ethics officers and most Scientology executives and staff are not formal trained clergy. They are members of what is presented as a religious order, the Sea Org. But does that make them clergy by definition in the eyes of the court? I mean, the critical issue here is the protection of uh, of clergy penitent privilege. Right. And the contents of confession may not be entered into evidence. So the auditing files are considered protected because of uh, the seal of confession and therefore are not admissible. However, and since, since we love details, let me give you a detail that is very important here. Within the bubble world of Scientology, there are confessional auditing sessions that are known as confessionals or security checks. And there are ethics interviews that are carried out on parishioners or Scientologists. I hate using the word parishioner. Using e-meters that an ethics officer will carry out on a person which is not auditing, confessional, or sec check. It's an ethics interview. These are very different things following different procedures, both using an e-meter. I believe that difference matters based on what you just said about, you know, is a, is a confidential confessional session, you know, should that be confidential? But this ethics interview and these informal discussions that are had between ethics officers and Scientologists are not formal confessions. Does that I matter? don't know. I don't know how this is uh, categorized because if all auditing uh, is considered to be confessional, then those tech checks would also count. I know I get that, but the but I don't know. But, the, but what I'm what I'm asserting is that these women probably were not put only into confessionals. They first had to go and have interviews, and these interviews are not confessionals. They're interviews. They're informal discussions between the ethics officer and the Scientologist. If and it's part of the bulk of the communication would have actually happened. 
about all these matters. I don't know where exactly the line is. Okay. That would probably require a bit more knowledge of case law. Okay. However, okay. In so, but the critical question here is, uh, are the actions of a master at arms in Scientology considered those of clergy? Right. Right. That would be the argument. And I could see there. I could see a good argument being made that they are. I could. I could understand how that argument could be made, and um, and I could even see it. You know, uh, holding water. Um, so I guess then it's a pretty far long shot that they're ever going to have a situation where they're going to be able to bring in PC folders or ethics files. Oh heck no! Oh heck no! No, they would not be able to subpoena that. folders, definitely not. Okay. All right. But ethics files, maybe. I'm trying to imagine a situation in which it would be possible. It's not as clearly. I mean, uh, I, I mean here's, the, here's the question for you. I mean, from a legal standpoint, when you have, if you know or suspect that you have evidence of a crime being committed against a person that is a that is a straight up offense, rape, for example. In a, in and it's written down, there is evidence of this, and yet it's protected by religious privilege, which takes precedence in a court of law. Privilege, really? That's the whole point. Hundred percent of, of the time. If it clearly falls within the privilege, then yes. Interesting. Because the, the point is not, uh, the, the point is to protect it even in questionable and difficult cases, because otherwise it could be eroded to the point of meaninglessness. Right. There is a very questionable situation in which a a privileged relationship, one of the people might be able to report an impending crime, but a past crime, no. See, except that there are exceptions all over the place for this. I mean, I'm thinking specifically here of um, child sexual assault. If somebody goes and, and confesses to a therapist or a counselor, in fact, anybody in the licensed fields except a clergy, they're mandated. It's required that you report that. There is an assumption there that that person is able to act again. Well, yeah. I mean, and that's the important point. Mandated reporting uh, is one of those cobbled on additions based entirely on the assumption that uh, what is being reported is likelihood to commit a future crime. Okay. Well, I don't know that that would be so far off from this, and yet somehow I, I understand. I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm struggling to find an example of where somebody could go to a priest and admit that they raped somebody, and it, and that is somehow like it's a good thing that the priest can't say anything about that. I'm struggling to understand how that makes any sense at all, to be honest with you. I mean, I kind of get society has this weird 
screwed up idea about religion. But other than that, I'm, I'm not tracking. Confession, confession is considered a good thing, even if it yeah. does not produce immediate results. I see. Okay. And yet, you know, it's, I, I just, I, I struggle to understand how it, how, how we rationalize people like Danny Masterson getting away with rape if there is evidence of it Those right there. Documents. You know, it's, it's hard for me to... I mean, insofar as I consider Scientology to be a fraud, a knowing fraud, I am averse to PC folders being privileged, but the fact remains that enough people believe that it is legit that freedom of association means that they have to be granted some protection. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. All right. Well, I mean, if it wasn't just a fraud, the point is that that information was released as part of trying to heal and improve the situation. Yeah. No, I Scientology get- doesn't work. So no. it's kind no. of kind of a kind of a different argument of course as well. I mean, because of course I will argue all day long that Scientology is not a legitimate religion. But again, you know, religious scholars have something different to say about that. And I get their arguments. I've read them. I understand them. I just don't happen to agree with them. But I yes, let's, let's remember from. that uh, though, if we're talking about the same person I'm thinking of, and I can't remember his name, mm-hmm. he wrote Scientology, uh, had a collection of uh, articles. You did a review of it. Oh, there's been a number of authors in religious studies and scholars. Yeah, basically, I don't take them as serious scholars. Right, neither do I. Um, Because their papers are not worth serious discussion. I've I've critiqued them on that basis. But but I get the arguments. I mean, I'm just just saying, it's not like it's all out of left field and nobody's doing any thinking connected with any of this. I just happen to disagree with most of it personally. the question I was going after there, of course, is, you know, how much of Scientology are we going to see be able to be brought into the courtroom by or into the courtroom rather by the prosecution? Um, what do you see here in terms of potential for that? Because you mentioned before the show the whole introduction to Scientology ethics book, which is their Bible of ethics issues on how to deal with the right and wrong morality questions of their religion, if you want to put it that way, they're all in that book. All the relevant policies are in there. And that whole book has been introduced into evidence. What does that give the prosecution the ability to do? It's a very difficult situation. Mm -hmm. You are not... uh, uh, you are not allowed to prosecute a person merely because of their religious belief. Right. There's freedom of religion. Mm-hmm. That includes the freedom to believe, but not necessarily the total freedom to act. Right. That actually applying that when it comes time to evidence is tricky. Uh, insofar as a person's actions may be influenced by their beliefs, courts have to very carefully thread the needle between uh, acknowledging the state of mind of the participants versus uh, 
imputing uh, those participants' actions to the religion itself. Right. So that is a very tricky, tricky uh, thing to do uh, when you're outside of the normal church environment. Right. Uh, and this is a situation in which Scientology's policies directly implicate how some of these events happened. Mm. So trying to prosecute the rape will inevitably have to explain why was there such a delay between the initial crimes and the reporting. Right. You also have to explain uh, what was the mindset of Danny Masterson. Is there a defense there? You also have to explain uh, why these women did not owe some of the behavior of the women that might otherwise seem incredible. Right. So you've got credibility issues that are directly tied to the beliefs they were acting under at the time. Exactly. And And Scientology is such an overwhelming experience that it becomes an issue deeply tied to it. So how do you thread the needle there? Yeah, exactly. Well, I would stick mostly on the line of that, using that information to show the jury why they delayed and waited and went along with the, you know, advices and directions and commands of their church officials who told them, uh, uh, again, allegedly, that they are to keep the damn mouth shut, right? And this is on them. This is their thing. It's not not a legal thing. They're not going to go to the cops with this. And and um, and they kind of followed suit with that, you know, or they they you know uh, delayed in reporting. Um, I could see needing to clarify that to a jury and showing the various relevant policies. For example, the fact that it's a suppressive act to bring legal action against another Scientologist without the approval of the church, in which they clearly did not have. That's right there in the justice codes. It's right in the suppressive acts, which is in that book that's been admitted into evidence. So I'm hoping that we see something along those lines. Does that seem a plausible use of of that evidence? I think it's important to start with a bit of a factual discussion of... Hmm what happened uh-huh. and uh, uh, the women uh, after the rape by Danny Masterson talked to people in Scientology mm-hmm. and uh, they talked to the master at arms who verbally seemed to indicate that there was a blanket prohibition against reporting any Scientologist mm-hmm. not merely reporting them uh, for being a Scientologist. No, it has nothing to do with whether they... You're not reporting somebody for being a Scientologist. You, it's the fact that they are a Scientologist who prevents you from reporting on them about anything. And that is such an unusual... Con, that, that's an unusual interpretation of the the rule. Well... I'm being unclear here. No, no, that's not an unusual interpretation of the rule. The suppressive within Scientology, 
Yeah, that's crystal clear. There's no there there is there is no um, uncertainty or weird interpretation necessary there. It's very clear. If you, I mean, outside of Scientology, that's crazy. No, I know, and that's why I'm hoping they bring that into the courtroom because it's right there in the book. It's spelled out in the Justice Codes. It's not a matter of this is Chris Shelton's opinion of what Scientology says. It's right there. And of course, each of the victims can testify to the fact that that's exactly how they understood it. And therefore, if they were going to continue membership in this group, they could not report this crime. And they had to go along with the authorities and what they were being told. Yeah? And... uh... The, the the prosecution is arguing, hey, the reason why these women did not report earlier was because they followed what they were told by the mascot arms. Right. And that's how and that's Scientology's influence in this entire thing in a nutshell. And that and the later stalking and harassment, which was a proactive attempt on their part to shut these women up. So so we could see that much Scientology being brought into the courtroom for the case to make the case of why these women delayed and what was behind all of that. Yes. Okay. That, that's one argument. Uh, there are two arguments for why there was a delay. One is that, well, according to one section of California law, uh, they wiped out the statute of limitations for rape. I don't know if that's a fair reading or not. I'm not a California lawyer. Okay. But the whole thing of not reporting until you know you can report, uh, that is a much more accepted concept. Mm. And this is where Scientology is an important part of the argument. Right, right. Okay, so there's that aspect of it as far as as far as that goes. But we're not going to see, as we went over there, we're not going to see PC folders being carted in and reports being drawn up. Although, could it be that the that the victims have their own copies of reports and information that they own? Because you're supposed to, within the world of Scientology, when somebody writes a report on you, you're supposed to get a copy of it. Most of the time, at least. And so I believe I've read during the course of the last couple of years that some of these women have those records of reports that were written on Masterson, on themselves, on other people connected with all of this. And is that something viable that could be put into the courtroom for uh, purposes of bolstering their case or their point of view on um, how the church treated them? Insofar as it is not under seal, I would think it could be introduced. Okay. Because that could also, those some of those reports could also potentially be game changers in terms of who knew what, when, and what were they doing about it. However, we also have to factor in evidence must be more probative than prejudicial. What it means is that... What does that mean? Yeah. Evidence has to be probative. It has to actually tell you uh, something about the situation in relation to the legal issues at play. So if it was just a report on Danny Masterson as a horrible person, but has nothing to do with the rape allegations, 
Oh, no, no. I was thinking more along the lines of reports to the church directly laying out what happened. And in those reports, there might be communications about responses from the church or from Masterson himself. For example, at least one of these victims was forced to go meet with him and do some kind of weird attempt at a mediation in the church. I don't know that they used the word mediation, but there was a meeting that was supposed to happen. Was it a comment? No, it was a meeting between Masterson and the victim uh, with an ethics officer or chaplain or somebody in the room, not a chaplain, it was an ethics person. Um, That's what I remember about it. I probably should have looked it up beforehand, but that meeting happened and Masterson did not apologize or barely did and apparently was like, you know, you owe me or something. I mean, it was a very weird tables turned on the victim kind of a situation. So there could be reports on that. For example, I mean, would that be relevant to the case they're making, you think? It depends on, as to whether it is uh, considered privilege. Because I don't know the full scope of what Scientology practices are considered under priest privilege. Yeah, the only place they have a formal, I don't know how relevant this is, you tell me. The only place in Scientology where this receives any attention at all is on the preclear folders. They are stamped with a stamp that says confidential, confessional, priest, penitent, privileged information. And as long as they keep those confidential, that's a kind of credible argument. What causes me to be rather skeptical is they're declassifying it and spreading the contents, which should totally void that argument exactly because in laura uh de crescenzo's case she showed in court that 120 different people had had access to her supposedly confidential files on a regular basis there was nothing confidential i mean if it's still confidential within the organization okay i can kind of understand that but if it's yeah, uh, ways and they declassify the file and spread the contents for dirt. Yeah, well, I mean, when the salespeople can be shown to have access to these files, when the clerks can be shown, the admin people can be shown to have access to these files. We're not talking about clergy confidential confession. It, it has stopped having the confidentiality that is the assumption behind right. uh that designation. Exactly. And that's the joke that Scientology plays on everybody is they use the words and the language and the formality of of the law to hide behind and defend themselves. But the reality is there is nothing confidential in Scientology. If you tell somebody in Scientology something, Everybody could potentially know about it very, very quickly. And not just through rumor lines, but because everybody has access to this stuff. There is no real effort made, you know, other than locking some doors from time to time to keep people away from from this information. I had routine access to anybody's files I wanted to have access to. So I, so I, so, so having lived that experience, I know that, you know, there's a lot of wordplay going on here on Scientology's part 
which has no basis in They fact. wrap themselves in religious cloaking for something that is fundamentally not a, not religious. Exactly. Exactly. So that's the reality of the situation. How much of that is going to get into the courtroom will be an interesting thing to see, which is why I'm really kind of... But at, as they wrap themselves in religious cloaking, they try a number of religious protection arguments. Right. Exactly. And we got to puncture each one of those. And we'll have to see how necessary that is. I know the prosecution's main job here is not to undo Scientology. Their main job is to prosecute Danny Masterson for crimes against these women. And Scientology's sort of ancillary to that. It's it's contributory to the picture, but it's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to get these charges prosecuted. I mean, yes. is, that, is that, yeah? Yes. Yeah. And to do that, Scientology must mention Scientology in order to explain why critical steps were not conducted earlier and to deal with the credibility of the witnesses. Right. Of course, even though it's ancillary to uh, the case, Scientology is claiming that the rape allegations are protect are that the prosecution's behavior is pretextual, and their real goal is to go after Scientology. Well, are they claiming that in their court filings? In one of them, basically, yeah. Wow, wow. Well, they can say it doesn't make it true, and it doesn't uh. seem. Doesn't appear from what I've seen so far that this judge who's assigned to the case is particularly sympathetic to their religious cloaking arguments. I mean, uh, the way it, the way the Scientology uh, uh, March thirteenth filing uh, mischaracterized the prosecution's filing just made me very frustrated. Hmm. Because one of the things you're supposed to do is to fairly characterize the other side. Oh, you are? At least when you're making a legal argument. Okay. They did not. <laughs> I would imagine the judge is probably as frustrated as I am. Yes, I imagine that's true. Scientology's um, legal chicanery and shenanigans are infamous, after all. I, I mean, reading that brief, it was pretty much... Um, you know the old joke of if you've got facts, argue the facts. If you've got uh, law, argue the law. If you've got uh, if you've got nothing, bang on the table. Yeah. This is banging on the table with extra words and citations. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I'm glad she saw through that. Other than this, th th so with what we've addressed so far, we've been talking pretty much about how Scientology might end up in the courtroom or in the ears of the jurists, right? What um, what other factors do you see here that might throw a monkey in the wrench of this case? Are there any other things, or is this otherwise a pretty straightforward case? I, witness credibility is going to be key. Yeah. And that is going to involve things like, did the, did the, uh, did the victims say anything different to other people around them? Mm. So you would want to find examples of what they communicated to other people. And some of that is going to, well, the defense is obviously going to want to know, okay, what did they say to other people and did it differ? And therefore, can we impugn their credibility based on it? 
Right. Now, let's say that they had witnesses come on the stand for the defense who were Scientologists, uh, who were friends of the uh, accusers at the time or were relations with them in some way. And they come on the stand and say, oh, yeah, well, she said blah, 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 blah. How much latitude does the prosecution have in approaching those witnesses or cross-examining them to bring in other Scientology stuff or state of mind stuff? Like, what what are the parameters there? Because, again, you see the stuff on TV and they get away with anything they want on TV. But I know in real life it's not that way. The basic shift is that people can bring in the evidence of the words that other people said. And if it's uh, Danny Masterson says that, oh, somebody at, somebody who, say, worked the concession stand at the Celebrity Center. I don't know if there's a concession stand. Mm-hmm. But if there was one uh, and one of the uh, uh, accusers had uh, said something to her, that person who, uh, who worked the concession stand can be put put on the stand as a witness and uh, testify as to what they were told by, allegedly told. Uh, So any statement uh, that was made by a party can be brought in. Okay. Assuming relevance and a bunch of other things, but... But in cross-examining, let's say a Scientologist making such a claim, let's say that they came on and said, oh yeah, no, she... Chrissy uh, came to me the day afterwards and said that it was a lot of fun and and she had a great time at Masterson's place last night, right? Let's say that that were to happen. Absolutely, that could be admissible. Right, that could be admissible, but how much latitude does the prosecution then have to cross-examine that person to either one, tear apart their credibility, or two, find out whether they're lying or not? That's a very... um tricky situation yeah and yet i i happen to know for a fact that any number of scientologists would line up with raised hands to go lie on the stand for danny masterson so that's what concerns me yeah that's uh that's one of the ways that nasty groups manage to continue by getting people to lie for them on the stand right um if, say, a former friend of one of the victims uh, ends up lying on the stand, then you might be able to impeach the credibility by asking if there were any, uh, well, you can ask leading questions on cross-examination when the other side gets to ask questions. So let's say Danny Masterson brings in a former friend of one of the victims. Yeah, She lies on the stand. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes a turn of the uh, prosecution to ask questions of the uh, the the alleged witness. Yeah, they can use leading questions there. They can try to uh, see if the person changes their testimony or if there are any gaps in their testimony. Okay. Okay. It, and how much of a heads up do the prosecution have? To, about such witnesses? Do they just have a list of names and do they know what they're going to say or how, how much prep? Normally there's a list of names. There's just a list of names. I, 
there is at least a list of names. Oh, at least. There are some places where there are surprise witnesses, but that, that tends to be unusual. Okay. But it's I, not the case that these witnesses were all deposed before the fact and the prosecution's going to know what they're going to bring to the stand. I mean, quite often that's the case. Okay. Because you generally, uh, as the saying is, uh, it, uh, never ask a question if you don't already know the answer. Right. And how do you know if you, because I've seen that in movies, right? Uh, John Travolta movie, in fact, <laughs> where he was playing a lawyer and a real, real guy, real case. And, it, and he really was the good guy in the case, but he went into court completely unprepared. And, uh, and he had a guy on the stand and he did not know what this guy was going to say. And, and the guy ended up turning his arguments into in John Travolta's arguments into Swiss cheese because he wasn't saying what John Travolta thought he was going to say. You know? And this is why it is, it's possible to uh, try to put a witness on the stand if you don't know what they're going to say. It's just considered a bad idea. Mm, mm, interesting. Okay. So those are those are other things that could happen here. I mean, because I, I it has to be predictable because you've already got depositions, you've already got other statements people provide. Okay. Unless you're going off and doing your own thing, and let's remember the prosecution has a duty to turn over evidence to the defense, so it's not going to be a surprise for the defense. Right. Right. Uh, but the but the defense can sometimes surprise the prosecution. Right. Yeah. Okay. So I imagine we might see some of that during the course of this. I mean, these guys are plotting, of course, every possible avenue of defense that they can think of, and that's their job. And they're getting paid an awful lot of money. So one hopes that they're good at their job. <laughs> I know Masterson certainly does. Uh, I mean, you know, I don't hope that they're good at their job. But. A, a filing as their, um, their May 13th one, I, I kind of wonder... Mm. Mm, good point. Yeah, they have definitely tried a few of the, um, you know, delay, 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 figure this out, figure that. They even tried this week to enter in a delay because Scientology is negatively represented in the media. And therefore, there's no way he could get a fair trial. And that argument was rejected out of hand. That is actually one of the more decent arguments. Oh, that was a horrible argument. I mean, when is Scientology not being painted badly in the media? It's a bad group. That's all that that's like it's like saying a Nazi can't get a fair trial. I, I mean, you know, you know, that is kind of an issue. I know. The point is due process. I not know. I know. As a point of due process, it actually does make sense to me. I can separate it out enough, but it's just I'm, you know, I, I just know what Scientology is. So it's uh it's just a, it's just so funny to me, you know. I mean, how dare they tell the truth about Scientology in the newspapers? We can't get a fair trial. I mean, you know, I mean, like you just know these things don't really go I together. Mean, Scientology, but. at least in how they are alleging that uh, the prosecution tried to make Scientology doctrine an issue, mm -hmm. and, and this is where remember you have to. Be very careful that you are dealing with the people's state of mind, not Scientology doctrine. Right. Right. Uh, and I think that that's a I think that's the best avenue that the prosecution has 
to bring this stuff in because it's all about state of mind. I mean, that to me, that's the most obvious thing about all of this is, yeah, these women were in a really fucked up state of mind. I mean, they'd been raped and then their church tells them it was their fault and they better shut up about it. And it's, you know, and sex checks them and, and, and basically persecutes them for daring to say that Masterson raped them. I mean, that's a, that's a one, two, three, four punch to their, you know, to them. It's awful. I mean, it's a good explanation for why they delayed in reporting, Mm -hmm. but it is also very uh, difficult to argue because uh, you're, the a witness's religion may not be used to assess their credibility. Say that again. Uh, let's take a look at. Yeah, I, I just missed the word you said there. The the, the what of a religion? Uh, let let's take a look at Federal Rule Six Ten. Uh huh. Evidence of a witness's religious beliefs or opinions is not admissible to attack or support the witness's credibility. No, you could never say, and you never should be able to say, Joe Blow should not be believed because he's Jewish. Sally Sue should not, we, we're not going to listen to her because she's a Scientologist. That would be completely whack. And I would 100% support that. Let's, let's <laughs> try with a Scientology one. Okay, fine. So uh, go to the press because they're a Scientologist and Scientologist rules say they can't. Uh, and the government, the, the prosecution here is trying to argue that they are pointing out the state of mind of the victims. Yeah. That what the victims believed that Scientology doctrine was, was why they didn't report it. Right. Scientology is claiming that that is simply a pretext to drag in Scientology to prejudice people's minds about the case. Well, they're wrong. And I hope that the jury and the judge... But that's, the, that's what they have to argue. Yeah, well, it's a lame argument because it's... How dare you bring the truth of our religion into the courtroom? I mean, it just sounds like... It sounds so stupid uh, I mean, in my ears. Really, the, the interpretation of, uh, of not being able to report a... Scientologist who committed crimes to the police it's just so mind-boggling it is not normal no. you have a lot of religions that do say don't report someone to the police just for being a member of our religion but it's assumed that regular law enforcement can continue Scientology throws that out the window yeah they do and that's mind-boggling that is so unusual that it sounds prejudicial to anybody else. Right. And the lawyers on Scientology side want to take advantage of that. But the fact is, that is the truth. And, you know, they're just going to have to deal with that. They're defending a destructive cult. Deal with it. <laughs> you know, oh. the outrage argument gets no, holds no water for me. You and, know, you, right? and the thing is, is Scientology being totally on the up and up? I, I mean, the, the prosecution is pointing out that, hey, uh, what uh, Scientology, the, uh, the defense allowed uh, the entire ethics book to be introduced into evidence. Right. As exhibit five. I know. I thought that was a pretty big blunder on their part, to be honest. 
Because they're the ones who are responsible for Scientology being in the courtroom right now. <laughs> they're the ones who brought it. I think that's hilarious. So, so we'll see. What other curveballs do you see possibly entering into this? Do you have any other predictions of, of what could occur here? Well, I would certainly expect a, a bunch of he should, she should allegations uh, from alleged witnesses. Mm-hmm. And Scientology can probably trot out a lot of people from the Celebrity Center to make allegations. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of trying to explain away gaps in the victim's conduct, I don't know how that would play out. Mm. What, do you mean by that? What, what do you mean by that? Gaps in the victim's conduct. Um, you mean their failure to report or? The failure to report uh, is a big issue. Right. I think we've done. And the fact that they were in contact with journalists uh, before making a major allegation is going to be one of those more complicating factors. Do you know if it was because the women themselves? We're just trying to build up the courage to go to the cops, or was it because the journalist decided to uh, create a story for them to go to the cops with? Mm. And because of the way California has a reporter's privilege, that is unknowable, but that's the kind of spin that we can expect Scientology to run with. Right, right. How many, how does it... How do I put this? If you are on the defense side, I guess, different from the prosecution side, maybe the strategies obviously would be different. I'm thinking with a defense, you kind of shotgun. You just throw everything and anything you can to, 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 to impugn or confuse or disperse or um, confuse even the jury so they don't really understand exactly what's going on. I mean, that seems to me from the defense point of view, a more, a more calculated strategy to engage in as opposed to like the prosecution who wants things to be very, here's what happened. Here's how it happened. You guys need to say, this is what happened and find him guilty accordingly. Like they want to keep things kind of simple and to the point and direct, right? The prosecution has to prove a chain of allegations. If any one of them is broken by the defense, it's not guilty. Right. So, so, there has to so be- the defense can shotgun whatever the hell they want out to to take those uh, those chain of allegations to take that apart. Yep. Yeah. So they don't necessarily have to to present this like logically con- coherent narrative. That's the prosecution side. The defense just has to poke holes in whatever they can as often as they can. Right. Okay. So And because the character of the people is such a big issue here, expect a lot of mudslinging and allegations of he lied, no, she lied, and dragging in a whole bunch of witnesses that may or may not be lying. Right. And this is the part of, especially as far as I'm concerned, this is the part of, 
prosecuting sexual assault cases that that sucks the hardest is the fact that the women, the, the victims, I mean, because it's not always women, um, are basically re-traumatized through the entire process of trying to do this. And there doesn't seem to be any other way around it, which is one of the reasons we don't see as many of these, you know, come to trial, I think, as, as, uh, as maybe should. You know, it's a very traumatic experience for for these women to have to go through all of this. Just to just to have arrived in the courtroom was bad. Now, now the real fight begins. You know, and as you just said, character assassination will be the order of the day on the side of the defense, and that's that's just it's kind of sucks no matter how you look at it. I think I don't know what do you what do you think about all of that. It's complicated because there have been a bunch of changes in the rules of evidence since the 90s to make it harder to cross-examine someone who alleged a rape. Mm. But at the same time, it's not supposed to uh, remove the ability to contest the factual allegations. Right, exactly. You want to be able to make a good case. You want to provide a vigorous defense for the accused, no matter who they are, you know, but the nature of the whole situation is such that they have to face one another, at least in that room, and they got to deal with... I mean, they don't necessarily have to be in the same physical room, but they... Oh, they don't. I was under the impression you had to be faced by your accusers that way. You have to be faced with the evidence against you. Got it. Okay, got it. That's a good distinction to make. So I guess we'll see how this plays out. Like I said, any other um, any other curves here that we haven't talked about yet? I think it is very interesting that Scientology has decided to, well, the defense has decided to make uh, a lot of the credibility arguments about Scientology rather than treating it as uh, something to be swept under the rug. Really? You, you find that interesting? It seems like a very high-risk strategy. Is it a control-the-narrative kind of strategy? Like if we take charge of this and control how it's being brought in or how it's being talked about, then we can minimize the damage as opposed to waiting to see what the prosecution's going to do with it? I mean, I could maybe imagine somebody thinking that, but it doesn't make, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Really? In what in what way? Because I could see Miscavige coming up with a strategy like that and dictating that um, kind of thing, right, to the lawyers. Because to imagine he has no input on this is ridiculous and hopelessly naive. Of course he does. I mean, um, I'm sure that there's a bunch of middling lawyers who are being paid exorbitant amounts to write long briefs and writing long briefs. Uh, full of allegations is their way of proving, hey, keep on paying me. Sure. But at the same time, trying to make a, a, trying to claim that Scientology is really the target in this case is just making Scientology much more prominent in people's minds. Right. That seems like, okay, even if they win this specific case, the PR fallout is going to be much worse. And and that's the exact point that Miscavige routinely fails on. Uh, you know, we can look at the going clear 
documentary and its release, why did it take off and go viral and be seen to a standing ovation like two or three times at the Sundance Film Festival? When it would have just been another entry that would have had a regular audience and been seen and moved on like every other show there, well, Scientology placed a full-page ad in the New York Times decrying the documentary before it was ever seen. So they attracted all kinds of attention to it, right? Why did the Tom Cruise video create such controversy when it might have just been something that appeared and disappeared on the internet because Scientology tried so hard and so publicly to have it taken down. And, 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 and people have mentioned the Streisand effect yeah. a lot in relation to Scientology, but yeah. I think there's more to it. Mm -hmm. Back before the internet, pressuring one individual or institution could work. That's right. Once information became distributed, it you'd have to go after an entire network. Exactly. And that is very hard to do. And it is a situation in which uh, the stakes for any individual participant, while they might lose a lot, are not as controllable as for a big institution that can well, count the cost monetarily. Yeah, exactly. Not to mention that it's a bully tactic. I mean, it's this is this is this is one of the most fundamental policies or 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 things about the church that I've said for years is why its own destruction is built into its DNA is because these outmoded policies, these old ideas of I'm going to intimidate and blackmail and and threaten you into silence is not really a strategy that works anymore the same way it did pre-internet because now everybody's got a bullhorn and you can use it and can vocalize and can and it can expose abuse and nonsense like that that's being done to them and the whole world can see it and go holy cow it didn't used to be that way you know and so i think you're i think you're right on that that it's an it's this sort of older Scientology policy still being applied in this weird way, trying to to do this in the internet age and failing miserably. Uh, but here's the thing. That doesn't explain why Scientology just continues to persist with that strategy when it has ceased being effective. And there I think it's two things. Yeah. One, Scientology really doesn't understand the abstract aspects of technology and information flow. Correct. Uh, and two, intimidation feels like it's doing something. Right. Just sitting back and letting stuff peter out and the attention cycle shift doesn't feel like you're doing something. Correct. You're nailing that. You are absolutely nailing that because that is where Miscavige lives. And that's where Hubbard lived, is, you know, the wrong thing to do. In fact, it's a mantra in Scientology. The wrong thing to do is nothing. That's a mantra. That's an actual saying in Scientology. The wrong thing to do is nothing. There's always something that can be done about it. And that something is never leaving it the hell alone to die itself because it'll die out on its own, right? They never do that. 
And those two mantras are examples of why. And this is this is fundamental to Miscavige's entire way of thinking about things is you are always proactive in handling or dealing with a, a, a problem or a situation. You're never passive and you are never turn the other cheek. And Scientology, always trying to uh, intimidate people, matches up disaster, disastrously with the outrage cycle. Mm. So the longer they try to intimidate people and keep the attention on them in the middle of an outrage cycle in which people are desperate for some unifying factor of Republicans hate Democrats and Democrats hate Republicans, but both can agree Scientology sucks. Right. Is a what the heck move? Yeah. Yeah. It was the one thing. This is actually really funny that this is coming up and we'll wrap up here in a minute on this because I think it's a great place to end, is it was the one thing I saw Trumpsters, Trump supporters on Twitter rage against Donald Trump on is when he promoted Joy Villa, Joy Villa, the uh, Scientology attention monger who, who never saw a camera she didn't like. She managed to get a meeting with Trump and, and a, so a Scientologist got into the White House on the MAGA red carpet ride and met Trump and got retweeted by him. And once it became known out in the public on Twitter that she was a Scientologist, even Trump supporters were telling Trump on Twitter, dude, you got this one wrong. And that blew me away. <laughs> I mean, wow. It was a perfect demonstration of what you're talking about, you know. We can't get along on anything, but we can all agree Scientology is bad. So, so in this case, let's say somehow uh, Danny Masterson managed to, manages to persuade people that, well, their Scientology is just so hated that he can't get a fair trial. Yeah, and he wins. Scientology will probably prance around and say, see, our guy was found not guilty. Of course they would. But at the same time. Yeah. Oh, they would spin that like crazy. Of course they would. And that's not going to hold any water, and that didn't go anywhere, and the trial is proceeding forward. So tactically, I see how it makes sense. Strategically, it's one of those, I see why the lawyers are doing it to get billable hours, because Scientology pays through the nose. But at the same time, the PR fallout is going to be freaking moronic. Exactly. They have no real sense of how to do positive public relations. The only Scientology, the only kind of public relations Scientology really understands and tries to invest all of their, their PR budget in is negative PR, is, is character assassination PR. I, mean, I did have a couple copies of that uh, that... Basically, a marketing handout they put near the uh, metro stations here in DC. Mm. And it was just boring as all heck. Very nice graphic design, mind you. But the contents were fucking nuts. Yeah. yeah. And I think Jeff Hawkins was, I think an experience Jeff Hawkins had with David Miscavige reveals this. There was a book which they both read. 
which Jeff Hawkins has described as being clear evidence that you can't overcome a bad reputation with vague positive PR. Mm-hmm. Whereas David Miscavige interpreted it the opposite, that vagueness was a key to developing positive PR. Right. Exactly. And we live in a world in which the vagueness is really not going to help Scientology. No, it's not. And unfortunately for them, <laughs> I can tell you that if they decided to get into specifics and reporting uh, the specific glowing wins and successes of Scientologists, they'd be laughed out of the room. They they sound crazy. They sound like insane people. You know, like oh, they they they're 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 you know they're uh, glowing and um, you know going on and on and on about how they can find their car keys now because they were you know they have their OT awareness or they can fix the weather or something. I mean, the things that Scientologists claim they can do as a result of Scientology is just, it sounds crazy to outside ears. So but they could still wrap it up in a bunch of pseudoscientific yeah. uh, studies the way a bunch of other alt-med people have done. Yeah. But they aren't going to do that. No, no. They just harp on the religious angle. That's what they get the most traction with and the most freedom of movement. That's what they get the most legal protections out of. My point. Exactly. But that's not where they get their recruits. No. I don't think so. No, and I don't think that they can, they'll ever be able to make a case for uh, for that in the public forum because um, there's been too much exposure of their abusive nature, you know? So, interesting. And, interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Before we close, there's a few yeah. things that I just find just freaking amazing. What's that? So, uh, it's really, it's clear that you, under Scientology ethics, you can't report a Scientologist to the authorities for anything. No, not without, not without approval from the International Justice Chief. You cannot sue another Scientologist or bring a criminal complaint against, which includes criminal complaints, against another Scientologist without the approval of the Scientology International Justice Chief. And that has been granted from time to time, but most of the time they try to resolve all of that internally. And I suppose if they genuinely believe that Scientology works, there might be an argument for that. Well, and some of them do, and sometimes it does work out, but most of the time it's just total horseshit and nonsense. And when it comes to criminal activity like this, it becomes outright destructive, and uh, and that's why we call them a destructive cult. Now, here's one of the things I'm wondering about. If there is the allegation of rape, wouldn't that uh, count as a, wouldn't the, the rape itself count as a suppressive act? It would if they were believed. It wasn't just a he said, she said to the church. From the church's point of view, Danny Masterson is at the center of an incredible network and, of, uh, and web of influence and power and money uh, because it's not just him in a vacuum. It's him, his mother, his father, his uh, celebrity sister, his other celebrity half-brother, his family, his other professional connections. And a rape accusation made public, much less multiple rape accusations made public, would threaten all of that. 
And that's millions of dollars, that's influence, that's power. There's no way they were going to give that up. Far easier to just tell these women to shut the hell up. And that's but within Scientology doctrine, yeah. um, that power would mean that he was upstat Correct. and therefore believed over someone who did not have that and who would therefore be assumed to be in a lower condition. Correct. You got it. You got it. So, and that's that's how the culture of Scientology works. And it's not my opinion that's how it works. I watched it happen for decades. That's exactly how it happens. And the decision points that are made there are based on money, influence, and power for Scientology and PR image for Scientology. Those are the important factors, not the individuals involved or their human or civil rights. None of that matters when compared to money, influence, power, and image. Well, a combination of a group that is so paranoid that it assumes any criticism of individual members is a pretext to go after the organization, and an organization that decides credibility based on existing power seems like a recipe for abuse. Exactly. Exactly. Again, that's why we call them a destructive cult. It's not just a group of people with weird ideas. It's a group of people who are doing criminal things and justifying and rationalizing all of that and going about their lives as though none of that matters because they're on some higher purpose. And that's just crazy. That's, that's just not how you get along with other people or how society should operate. And they consider themselves senior to and above society. And that's how they justify being able to violate whatever rules they want, whenever they want. That's Scientology. That's what they, that's how they think. So. And. Yeah, good times, huh? I mean, that that's just kind of mind-boggling from an outside perspective. And it, that's what makes some of these, the, oh, that seems horribly prejudicial arguments make sense to lawyers. Because it's almost impossible to believe that an organization would actually think that way. Not that it actually gets applied that way, that they think that way. Yeah. Yeah. No, but they do. And you have to get into the culture of it before that becomes really clear. Trying to explain it from the outside is difficult. I understand that. I, I know we, 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 you know we talk about this a lot. I've made a lot of videos about this. I try to get this across to people. But I understand how hard it is to really grasp. And, and you are, are, thank you for pointing that out because it needs to be said that this is so outlandish, so bizarre as a point of view, but that's what cults are all about. Not just Scientology, they're all getting, they all, that, that's what feeding that narcissistic, egotistical, you know, sort of self-centered nonsense that these cults are all about. That's the consequence of that is that they consider themselves above the law and beyond the law. And that's why they do this stuff. And, and people find it absolutely unbelievable because they look like normal people. They talk like normal. They sound like normal, but they're not. They're in an extremist headspace and, and it's a camouflage thing. And it's, it's really scary the kind of nonsense people can get up to when they have those kind of extremist beliefs. And Scientology is a perfect case study of that. So you definitely think there's going to be a lot of people from Celebrity Center 
making a whole bunch of wild uh, claims about the the uh, uh, everything. Everybody's been real quiet about it up until now on the PR front. And I think that's calculated because they are trying to not draw a lot of attention to it. And also because um, in the post Me Too world, you know, being on the side of an accused rapist is not necessarily the, the, the winning strategy for a celebrity on the PR front. So even if they support them internally and behind the scenes, and I believe they do, in fact, I happen to believe this might be one of the reasons Laura Prepon has not spoken out about Scientology. She left it five years ago. Hasn't said a goddamn word except to say she's no longer a Scientologist. Why not? She's part of that circle. She could very well still be in that circle. So, you know, it's uh, as long as you're loyal... You're all in good, you know, as long as you're not disloyal to the group, you know, you're all good. Anyway, yuck. Kind of the nastier, seedier side of, of, of our nature that, that, that this kind of stuff goes on. But uh-huh. Cyprian, I want to thank you for taking the time to help me talk about all this stuff. Your answers were definitely clarifying and helpful to me today. So thank you. And this is definitely a case in which the prosecution, if they want their case to be successful, has to be very careful that they are going at, that they are dealing with the mindset of the people involved. Yeah. They, yeah exactly. The prosecution has to be disciplined here. Yeah. Otherwise, he'll get off. Yeah, exactly. And I hope not. Well, I guess we're going to follow this thing as closely as we can. Um, I believe it starts next Monday. and. Um, We'll see what we see as this thing rolls out. It's expected to take a couple weeks, this trial. It's not supposed to be a couple days kind of thing. It's going to take a while. And uh, we'll be following it here and seeing what we see. I mean, if I had Scientology's legal budget, I could change the world. I know, right? A lot better than they could. Yeah, exactly. You actually could make a good dent in the world, which is definitely not what they are about. All right, folks out there, thanks for very much for tuning in, watching us uh, blabber on here about all this. I hope that what we talked about today was somewhat helpful in understanding what's going on and what we might expect to see and not see and why. I wanted to present some of that. And uh, if you're enjoying this channel, enjoying my show, of course, consider, uh, please do subscribe, of course, and um, share this content around and, of course, support the channel. Thank you very much for watching. I'll see you guys next time. Bye-bye.